Hey everyone, Sloan here. On this episode, we chat with Anna Marie Wagner from Ginkgo Bioworks, a synthetic biology company that regular listeners will know is part of the Invest Vegan portfolio. In other words, both Ashby and I own shares in this company, so do with that information what you will. We started our conversation by talking about how the company came into being thanks to government support and what that says about investments in hard tech more broadly. We then explored the team's decision to pursue a horizontal business model that's led them to focus on the core technology of cellular programming and bringing products to market through partnerships that comprise equity participation, revenue shares, and other alignment structures. We then talked about how the existence of technology platforms like Ginkgo allow other startups to, protect, to approach product development, taking in effect more shots on goal with each fundraising round. And what Anna Marie and the management team will look to as indicators of success for Ginkgo and the broader synthetic biology industry going forward. Then, as always, we took questions from listeners. This week, we talked about the size of the overall profit pool and asset management and how much we should expect will accrue to data providers. Which planet in our solar system seems easiest to terraform, which is obviously a, a hot question on everyone's minds. And of course, good books we've read lately. As always, if you'd like to ask a question, share a thought, or just say hi, please don't hesitate to write to us at freemoneypod at gmail.com. You would also do us a huge favor by writing a review of this podcast in the Apple Podcast Store. That's it from me for now. Take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, Free Money Podcast listeners! I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the Disclosure Pirate, and I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients of Invest Vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. We've got a very, very special show featuring Dog Ashby. Oh! <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, Happy uh, Halloween. This is coming to you live from inside Mystery Dog. I, <laughs> I couldn't afford uh, Scooby-Doo, um, so that mm-hmm, I had to mm-hmm. get the off-brand. This is my Mystery Dog outfit. Today's the Halloween parade at my kid's school. <laughs> and so we took it we took it seriously we might need a photo here sloan for the show yep. notes yep yep i mean like i i think you know ashby's like you know for those of you who are you know i'll try to do this justice you've got a dog dog head but with one eyebrow artfully raised oh yeah uh, questioning you know question everything i think is the vibe yeah question everything and also just a very big uh maybe wet nose can we get a confirmation of that uh, is the nose yeah. wet? and mm. pro tip you get a you could have a Scooby Doo outfit at lower cost, free money podcast, lower cost if you find one called Mystery Dog. That's Mystery another, Dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that that does look like an off brand Scooby Doo. <laughs> Can I admit this is really hot in here, so I'm taking it. Yeah, away. yeah, yeah. I, I'm Woo! surprised that you 
<laughs> so now we've, we've made room for the mullet wig, oh, which, you know. I forgot to tell you, Sloan. I wore the mullet. Uh, this is my hockey outfit. Um, mm. I'm from Canada. You might not be able to pick up on this for the listeners at home, but I have what's called a business party, business up front, uh, yeah, yeah, party in yeah. the back. A lot of mm-hmm. hockey players go with this look, which I appreciate. <laughs> and people from Catalonia. Yep. In, yep. Uh, and also, also hipsters. It's, uh, you oh, know, is the, it back? Game, I mean, I mean, you know, you might, you might accuse me of having <laughs> oh, you have bags. something. Those are called bags. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a really fine line between the mullet and the bags, though, you know. <laughs> That's true. No, I think it's the mullet is, it continues to be short on top, near to the mm, back. Yeah. Yep, you know? Yep. Oh, it. yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, I I mean so I I guess I'm just not as tasteful as our Canadian. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, let's get our skates. It's yeah, almost it winter time. Uh, anyways, happy Halloween, Sloan. Happy Halloween. This is a fun time in New York City. Do you have any plans? It is. I you know one of my favorite DJs is playing a gig at a um, one of the queer nightclubs around here. So I'm hoping that I won't feel too geriatric after watching Dune on Saturday to go uh, and shake my my booty around. Um, Dune at the IMAX. Mm, yeah, Dune on your iPhone. Which one are we going with? (laughs) I I think probably at the Alamo Draft House. I don't know. My friend bought the tickets. Oh, that's pretty Um, rad. Yeah, they have really good cauliflower barbecue wings, relevant, of course, for the, the vegans among us. You know what? You just remind me of something. We would uh, benefit from all movie theaters putting in those big Lazy Boy chairs and having oh, the yes. menu. There's one in Campbell. The menu. In menu, like you just hit a button, dude shows up, you're like, Chardonnay, please, and a nachos. Yep. And they yep. come back with that to your chair. America is the greatest country in the world, truly. I mean, America! Like- <laughs> Sorry, the mullet like, has to come off. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a double whammy of heat. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> shall I do the news? Yes, please. All right. Yeah. On with the news. News time. And next week, starting Sunday, is the COP, right? This is mm. the climate conference. And, and this is the cop that these are the cop that progressives love, not the cop, not the other cops. <laughs> they want to fund this cop, not defund this cop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, it almost sounds like we write this show. We don't. <laughs> we do not. Um, anyway, first bit of news: ATP. I will not even attempt the pronunciation of this one. It's a Danish word. Um, ATP, which is the Danish industry pension plan, says that climate change. And I'm going to quote now is a fa- a note. I'm not, I know you're wondering, am I going to do the accent? I'm not. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a fantastic opportunity to create good returns over the next many years. So they mm. are taking the position. And if you recall, Sloan, ATP is one of those like super high performing pension plans. They're like yep. New Zealand, like they just yep. blow it out. Uh, and they're going to reallocate one fifth of the funds overall portfolio, massive. Um, 20% into green investments to generate hmm. alpha. Hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. That, that's pretty great. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, you know, I think, you know, our last episode with Paul Smith, he was talking about this, you know, where like people, people are now talking about ESG as an alpha generator. Yeah. Uh, not a risk mitigator. And God damn, if that's not delightful. And it's, you know, and then moving on to the Canada Pension Plan Investment mm. Board. 
located CPPIV? In, yeah. This should put my mullet back on here for the Canadian <laughs> angle. Just joking, my friends with the Canadian Pension Plan. Um, they've just hired their very first chief sustainability officer, mm. bringing the sustainability issue into the C-suite to the executive leadership team of the Canada Pension Plan. And I will tell those youngins out there that I remember it might not even be more than 10 years ago when the Canada Pension Plan was making the case that climate change was extra financial and they just had to focus on returns. Really? Oh, yeah. I, you know, that, that that feels like an 80s thing. That I know. You're like, like when that, was that? 72? That's, yeah, that's like the first Obama president. That like the, yeah. <laughs> the first, I mean, war. No, so, so it might have been, to give it all full credit, I was probably in Boston College when I wrote a brief on Canada Pension Plan. It was probably about then, 2008, 2009. And it was like, yeah, we care about this, but look, Ashby, we've got this fiduciary duty to maximize returns. So we really can't pay attention to that mm. stuff. We, we got to care about the pensioners. And by the way, yep. they weren't alone. Uh, that was basically the standard view at the time. That was, yeah, that, I think that's still the majority view. It's not the informed investor view, but it's, yeah. it's definitely like, I think if you were to pull financial advisors, say, as distinct from institutional investors, that would be the, what you would get as, that as a view. That's right. And that's why the Republican kind of led, um, what was it? Treasury? I forget who had the ESG rule. Maybe Department of Labor? Oh, there was the DOL. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. That was why they were like, oh, you, you pension and fiduciary bound investors, you're really not allowed to consider ESG. It was that same logic. And so that logic yep. is still, you know, making its way into people's portfolios all the way to today. So, but I thought, I thought it looked great for the Canada pension plan to make that step. That's a good look. I mean, like, you know, it's not, you know, we can't, we can't roast them now, you know, because yeah. then no one else will follow in their footsteps, right? Well, that's what, you know, that's what we're learning. You know, everybody's divesting from fossil fuels now. There was a couple of more. I think it was Brown. I don't know who it was. People are divesting. A lot of people <laughs> ever since the Harvard move. But speaking of good looks, Sloan, Sloan, Qatar Energy. Qatar Energy used to be known as Qatar, and I might be pronouncing Qatar wrong. Some people say Qatar. That's yeah. I have Qatar. No idea. I don't know either. Qatar. But you Qatar. know, I'm trying to give everybody what they need. Qatar <laughs> Energy used to be known as Qatar Petroleum. Uh, this is one of the top LNG suppliers. I just am pointing out that it was uh, used to be called Qatar Petroleum because it was one of the biggest fossil fueling companies on Earth. Qatar Energy is issuing green bonds. Wow. Yep. And uh, part of me wants to throw up a little bit when I see these types of things. But I've been instructed that this is a positive thing because <laughs> uh, it, the, the proceeds of this greed bond will go into trying to clean up um, these very dirty companies. The, you know, mm. the largest contributors to um, greenhouse gas, yeah, not greenhouse. What is it? What is it? It's contributing, Sloan. Uh, carbon emissions. Carbon I mean, emissions. Like, yeah, I mean it's uh, it, like, and especially the LNG thing, like the methane leaks. Yes. Um, on you know, L you know, these kind of, I think you know, one of the better arguments against divestment, uh, or one of the the big arguments against divestment is it pushes, you know, all the production offshore to those folks, you know, like Cutter Energy, who may or may not have the best protocols to secure all of their stuff. Um, you know, so yeah, I, yeah that, I guess there's a case, but hopefully they, the covenants are pretty sharp. Yeah. And this is what takes me into, at first I was like, do you remember when the news of the day, the news du jour, um, was that Philip Morris was doing an ESG bond? 
Yep. And again, we threw up a little bit, and but then we got <laughs> through it. Um, yep. And we're like, oh, okay, fine. Like these really bad actors in the world, like we don't want to, you know, just completely excommunicate them. We want to bring them in and we want to help them change. Um, hopefully we don't have the levels of recidivism, they say. Uh <laughs> But, you know, this is becoming a thing. And maybe it's because it's cop. But I also saw, last bit of news, um, the probably the biggest sovereign wealth fund on earth, the PIF out of Saudi Arabia. Um, What is the PIF? Public Investment Fund? That sounds like a reasonable acronym for them. I think it's PIF, Public Investment Fund. Mm. Um, Maybe it's petroleum? No, it's public. (laughs) It's public. (laughs) They are also doing a big green bond. Huh. So... You know, in Cotter and in the kingdom, we are seeing two big green bonds. Um, and th- I think this is becoming a trend. In fact, Kuwait has a sovereign fund that says they are going to invest in Saudi Arabia's green bond. Kuwait gets his money from oil reserves. Saudi Arabia is trying to clean up its act. They're issuing the green bond. It's becoming this virtuous cycle, I hope. Hopefully it's not greenwashing, but it could be a virtuous cycle of positivity whereby these organizations finance each other to clean their act up and, you know, avoid that two degree, eight degree future. And, you know, I mean, with with, with that, I mean, are you ready for like the best transition ever? Yeah. Talking about a virtuous cycle Uh-oh. where organizations invest in each other uh, to bring about a better future. Um, we have a guest. Perfect. Uh- Should I put my hat back on? Um, I mean, yeah, sure. If you want to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave the bullet off. <laughs> All right. Our guest is Emery Wagner, SVP of corporate development at Ginkgo Bioworks. Oh. And Ashby's wearing a funny hat. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it off. <laughs> hey, hey, Emery, how's it going? Hey, I don't know Emery. if you saw Ashby's uh, stupid hat there or not, but uh, welcome to the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> this, is Hall- this is the Halloween episode. I'm trying to turn on my camera here. There it is. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the pod. It is absolutely delightful to see you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah, Friday at 530. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I, so, you know, it's the end of the, the week. We, won't, we don't want to keep you for too long. But, you know, we're really interested in the trajectory of innovation, um, you know, and how it gets funded in particular on this podcast. And so, like, you know, I think Ginkgo, huge IPO. I own the stock. You know, Ashby is a client and therefore also owns the stock, uh, you know, but uh, can you talk about like how, you know, Ginkgo's funding sources evolved, right? Starting from, you know, being a like a DARPA, uh, you know, kind of project or defense budget project to, you know, this this great IPO that y'all just had. Yeah. Yeah. So so the thing to, to probably understand is that I feel like most investors really like pattern recognition, right? So so I think for that reason, like tough tech is often really hard for for VCs to fund or like later stage investors to fund, right? Because like the tech's not proven. The tech, like new technology usually drives new application areas, new use cases. Many of those applications and use cases like also aren't known. So that's not proven. <laughs> then like those new applications probably need new business models. So like that's not proven either. And so like there are literally like no patterns to recognize. And so yeah. I think like for Ginkgo, it was like very much that story. Like, oh, we're going to do 
We're going to like build the infrastructure layer for engineering biology. Well, what's that going to enable? Like, who knows? We're limited by our imagination. Most of it sounds like science fiction. Like, how do you make money doing that? Like, who knows? Like, and no one's ever done that before. All the, the whole biotech industry is just focused on making drugs. So it's like very hard to recognize patterns. And like the technology, you know, was, was really unproven for a long time. We had all these like expensive robots that were underutilized. And like, how are you going to like standardize biology? Like, that's hard. Um, and so thankfully, like there are really great, like innovative organizations within, um, within the government and academic institutions and others that will do like grants and early stage funding for some of these te tough technologies. So really for the first like six years of Ginkgo's life, it was some combination of like bootstrapping and, um, like things like SBIR grants, like ARPA E projects, things like that, um, yeah. with, with government, with academic sources, et cetera. Um, as we sort of figured out the, the nuts and bolts of how we were going to approach this really hard problem. Um, and then in 2014, we did Y Combinator and we were the first life sciences company to go through YC. Everyone told us not to, that we were crazy. Like they don't understand anything about biology. Like, why would you do that? But I, we, I think we actually found it really helpful because again, like when you're doing tough technologies, you're, you're, having to figure out like how does the business model work etc it's not going to look like it's not going to there's not a pattern right it's not going to look like what you've seen before and so it's helpful to become a student of many different types of um of business right and so we had been students of the life sciences space the biotech space having kind of grown up in that ecosystem um, but here was an opportunity to now become students of like the technology sector where, oh, horizontal platforms existed. And like, oh, how would we talk about that? How would we think about that? And so I think it was a really helpful program for us to sort of clarify how do we want to approach building a business around this tough technology? And coming out of that was when we did our first real, um, real fundraising round, um, uh, which was, uh, I can't remember what, what we called it, if it was a series B or C, I don't remember what it was, but that was around when like Viking came in, we raised a big, you know, kind of, uh, 40, $50 million kind of early stage round at that, at that point. Um, and then from then it's looked, it's looked like a more traditional kind of like VC backed, um, growth, uh, growth trajectory and, you know, obviously culminating in, in our IPO this year. So it, it's been a, it's been a pretty remarkable journey. Yeah. And just, you know, just got to give it some time to ferment, shall we say, <laughs> at the early stage. It reminds me to hear you talk about it. I know this is off, off topic a little bit, but it just reminds me of like the clean tech boom and bust, and bust? like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I know you're not busting, so <laughs> good job. But, but like the way you just talked about like the need to solve like technology market revenue, like it, those companies really had to solve for many things at once. So it kind of makes it even that much more impressive to hear your story. The thing that's super interesting too about that is like a, a lot of really good ideas come before the technology is ready for them before the market is ready for them, right? And so, like, there, there are examples of customers on our platform. Like, Genomatica is an awesome example of this. Like, they've been around since 98. They lived through that clean tech boom and the clean tech bust um, and, like, are having, like, a real moment now with, like, three products getting commercially manufactured, a partnership with Lululemon. Like, it's awesome to see wow. them really have their moment as a product company in, you know, a version of clean technology. 
Um, and, and again, seeing them like they, they sort of went after it the traditional way, vertically integrate, build stuff. It's hard. Um, and now, you know, they're, they, they've got still really talented scientists at, at, at Genomatica, but also are working with us. And so also playing with like, oh, well, what can these new technologies and the type of scale that Ginkgo offers kind of add to the equation as well, which is which is really neat to see. But, you know, that's, pro that's probably a good way to place to get into this decision that you guys took to, like, not be a product company, right? Uh, <laughs> which I imagine you got a lot of advice to the contrary. Like, yeah, just make some, just find something, make it real good. You It'll let your customer keep 90% of the economics. That doesn't make, if you're so good at this, don't you want to get all the value? Yeah, we've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, talk us through that decision. And like, what are the strategic implications of that? Yeah, so I think the real, like the real realization was, if what we're building is at its core, something that benefits from scale, then you need scale. And it's really hard to get scale if you're going to focus on one really narrow application area. And it's really hard to, to be vertically integrated and own your own products in lots of different spaces because the vast majority of what you're doing to bring a product to market is not reusable, it's not repurposable. And so you end up having to, to focus. Like management doesn't have bandwidth to be good at running clinical trials and be good at formulating and marketing new beauty products and be good at running field trials in agriculture. Like it's just impossible. Right. There's a reason why most product companies, all product companies that are successful, basically, are, are focused or are massive organizations with focused uh, divisions. <laughs> yep. Right? yep. And so for Ginkgo to, to get the scale and to operate horizontally, we couldn't focus on the things that were product specific or market specific. We had to focus on the shared element. And the shared element is the underlying bioengineering piece. And, and the, the insight there is like, look, if you walk into a lab in Cambridge in a biotech company making therapeutics and you walk into a lab in you know, Iowa that's working in the agricultural sector, or you walk into a lab in South San Francisco that's making some bio-based you know, material, like they all use the same equipment. The, the, the same like bioengineering tools are the same regardless of the application. And so that's the piece we can consolidate. Now the workflows are slightly different, the reagents you use are different, but like it's all the same fundamental technology. And so if we can figure out the really hard challenge of breaking down that complexity into discrete little unit operations and then building kind of software and automation to run that diversity at scale in sort of a manufacturing-like context, then we can have a shared infrastructure that works on all those different problems and benefits from the scale that we're, we're looking for. Um, and so that was that was the real insight. And it drove a lot of decisions around how we built the business and, and how we built the business model um, to really to really um, you know, try to reduce the the cost of development for our customers, reduce the risk, the technical risk of development for our customers, but still participate. Mm. in the downstream value even though we don't we don't actually have to be responsible for commercializing product ourselves that's a perfect tee up for this next question which is about that deeper alignment with the companies that are building products on your platform obviously scale you've just described it like means reducing the barriers to getting onto the platform which means you've got lots of companies you know building for your platform with your platform 
and then finding a way to participate in that value downstream. Like you guys have like taken the really creative approach of doing in-kind investments in startups. And we'd just love to hear about, you know, the evolution of that program, how you've done it and, and how many of these types of in-kind investments um, you've actually participated in if you're, if you're allowed to tell us. Yeah, so um, I might start by just explaining how the business model works, like the financial side of the business model. So there's sort of two main ways in which we make money. The first is we charge upfront like a service fee effectively for people using the foundry. That's what we call our labs, right? And so if we run an experiment, we use a pipette tip, someone spends an hour working on something, you, you kind of pay us um, like a service provider for that service. Um, but then there's like an app store side of the business model where it's like if if we do good work for you and you get a product and that product goes to market, we want to benefit from the success of that product. And so there's like a reach in sort of like Apple takes 30 percent of your product sales. If you make an app on the app store, we'll take downstream value. We'll share in the downstream value with the customer. Now, the customers kind of love that because they're like, all right, well, if you've made it cheaper for me on the really risky upfront part, I'm happy to share value with you if I win. It's like a little, all right, I win, you win, we're great, right? It's, it's, it's actually relatively easy to negotiate that piece because the interests are so well aligned. And we're super flexible in like how that piece is structured. So we can take milestones and royalties like you would see pretty traditionally in pharma, um, but we can also take equity. Um, and so we'll sometimes take, and this really only makes sense for like startup companies. Like it doesn't make sense for me to get equity in like Roche, like <laughs> you know, things that are going to move Roche's stock price that have nothing to do with, you know, if we discover an antibiotic for them. Right. So, so this typically makes sense for an early stage company where the value of that company is really being driven by whether or not they're successful in bringing a pipeline, you know, through and commercializing product with it. Um, and so, and they're like two flavors of companies that we have equity in. They're companies that we invested in ourselves, um, either with cash or with like free foundry services. And then there are companies where we didn't invest anything. They still pay to use the foundry like a normal customer. Um, but instead of taking like a royalty downstream, we get paid in equity. Um, and so the, the first deal we did that looked like this was one where we invested. So that was Genomatica, which I mentioned, like they've been at this since like 1998. Um, and it's really, again, a really cool example because they were really credible scientists. And it was, it was a really interesting moment for us to prove that, or candidly explore and all, and all <laughs> prove whether our platform could add value to a really capable, credible technical team. Um, and so that was in our first investment there was like, a, it was a kind of a mix over the course of like 2016 to 2018, like a mix of a small cash investment and then a, a more significant um, kind of in-kind uh, investment in the form of like credits to use the foundry over the course of the following years. Um, and so that was the, the first one that looked like that. Um, the other one we invested in upfront was a company called Synlogic. And similarly, like there was sort of a strategic reason for it. Synlogic um, is a therapeutics company. We were really trying to break into therapeutics. If you look at the history of Ginkgo's programs over time, we, we had to sort of go after markets in reverse order of technical sophistication. Because like six years ago, our platform was a lot worse than it is today. You know, someone like a Biogen would have laughed us out of the room if we had showed up and said, hey, like, do you want to use our platform? They're like, no, I've got a thousand PhDs. And my <laughs> <laughs> yep. probably a lot better at this than you are, right? Um, and so we were, you know, like we went after like 
flavors and fragrances and then chemicals. And then we got a little bit more credible and we would go after like agriculture, food, things like that. Right. And so we we're trying to break into pharma and like 2018, 2019, we're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make this happen. And Synlogic was a really good fit for that because even though they're in therapeutics, their platform is, is microbial. And we're really, we, you know, at the time our, our legacy was really microbial engineering, bacteria, yeast, things like that. Um, we have mammalian engineering now, which is more relevant for a much broader set of pharma. But at the time, we didn't really have strong mammalian capabilities. And so it was a really good strategic fit. They also were really, they were well-funded, but really focused on preclinical development, um, which is where we are relevant, right? Once something's in clinic, not super, we, we can't, we can't mess yeah. the drug substance anymore. So it was a really good strategic fit for a few reasons. And so we, we invested in them um, alongside uh, them starting to use the platform to accelerate their pipeline development. So, so those were the two that we invested in. Um, and then there are a whole bunch of companies where, again, we'll, we'll, we'll accept equity for the downstream portion. So we're not investing in them, but um, we, we sort of get compensated in equity if the programs are successful. So the first example of that was our JV with, um, with Bayer, um, which is a company called Join. Um, their, their sort of marquee product is a nitrogen fixing um, microbe that would like, live on the root structure of uh, you know, major crops to help reduce the amount of nitro synthetic nitrogen that has to be added. Um, so that's a really cool, a really cool JV. And we've done these across a lot of different segments. So like in food, uh, we, we uh, have an equity stake in a company called Motif Foodworks, which is um, doing kind of like plant-based proteins, but, um, uh, but replicating animal proteins, right? It's just, but it's, it's like a, a vegan animal protein effectively, cool. right? So they just, um, they just raised a $226 million series B led by OTPP and BlackRock, um, and are bringing their first products to market. One's like a, a textural agent. And the other one is it's called Himami, um, which is, uh, like a, a blood protein basically that, that makes meat taste meaty and, and makes it bleed. So they're, they're really exciting. Um, got one in beauty. Um, they just came out of stealth called Archaea. Um, they just, they just, uh, announced their 78 million series a with Chanel and Jividan. So really cool. Um, one in bioremediation, uh, just announced a couple in, um, like the natural medicines and probiotic space. So like all, all over the place that, and the really exciting thing there is like, these are companies that are building kind of from scratch on the platform. And it really goes to show like how quickly, you can develop a product and, and again, like reduce that technical risk um, uh, and, 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 and do it fairly quickly. So like Motif, you know, just in a couple of years, they're bringing synthetic biology products to market, which is, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. so we're pretty excited by those. And yeah, I mean, actually, Motif is what brought me to you guys in terms of, I mean, like Invest Vegan, we obviously have a, you know, a little bit of a, of a you know, an ear to the ground with respect yeah. to vegan food stuff. And um, so, yeah, that, that was my window into you guys. Well, so I'm the question for is, so like the, part of the funny feedback with Motif is like they've done a, they've done a really good job at making meat taste like you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, had, they had meatballs. We had our, um, we had our big annual conference recently um, and they served us like some meatballs that they had made with, with the Motif ingredients. Like you would not, you would not be able to. Like what if they're too good? You truly, you truly can't tell. And so they're like, some vegans like don't like it because it tastes too much like meat and like the texture is like meat. And it gets like stuck in your teat the way meat does. Like it's great. Um, <laughs> I'm a carnivore. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm curious for your feedback, Sloan. If, if you <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm, I'll look forward to getting my hands on, on some of this, you know, this stuff. I, I'll bet you, you know, my partner will be the kind of vegan who would not love it. Uh, and I'll be the kind of vegan who would be very into it. 
Um, you know, but like, you know, I'm curious, like with the, with all these startups, right? $78 million, that's still a lot of money. Um, you know, and, and like, I guess, you know, I wonder about like, you know, what the impact of having, um, you know, Ginkgo's involvement is in terms of just like making it easier to, uh, to get off the ground. You know, I mean, I, I think one institutional investor that I was talking to, uh, described your guys' central insight as like organizing the venture capital ecosystem into like discrete like risk sleeves so that it could access like all this product stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, so I, I, curious about like what you know that seventy eight million dollar raise say would have looked like without you know your participation if if they were to try and do that on their own. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think. You know, Ginkgo should be helpful regardless of whether you do a much more traditional, like a $10 million Series A or, or an $80 million Series A, right? Because um, the goal should be that we're, again, we're reducing the amount of technical investment needed and or, and this is actually the way most of our customers think, it's not about reducing the dollars spent on R&D. It's about increasing mm. the probability of success for that investment. Or, gotcha. Like in the case, this is very common with, um, you know, like a Motif or an Arkea, for example, Let's go after a lot of stuff. The issue is when you raise like 10 million bucks and you're using traditional low throughput bench scientists, you can't actually try that many things. Like you're probably Mm. one or two things or like a handful of very closely related things that are all leveraging the same kind of work. And and so what what we allow our customers to do is just go after a much broader set of projects. And so these companies that are getting started, you know, they'll be they'll be working on half a dozen sometimes projects with us, um, you, know, you know, different types of different types of products that they could go bring so that they're um, they have a much more diversified portfolio themselves because um, any product has a ton of risk. Most products fail. Most drugs fail. Um, most consumer products fail. Like it's hard to build products. And so, you know, again, benefit of the horizontal platform for Ginkgo, we're diversified. So we're not overexposed to any one product. But the same benefit holds true then for our customers. Because if they can have a broader pipeline, they're also not as beholden to any one product, any one drug, any one, you know, any particular thing working because they've got more shots on goal. And so that's um, that combined with, you know, hopefully if we're doing our jobs well, we're also reducing the probability of failure for each of those projects is is what I think is most kind of interesting and valuable to the customers and then the folks that are ultimately investing in those companies as well. It, it is like the fundamental transformation of like the early stage capital market where you guys are reducing that fear of um, that risk of like absolute failure by allowing these these companies to do more. And it, it kind of reminds me like with the iPhone and, and even just like the ecosystem of Silicon Valley where everything is geared towards like reducing the cost to get to that minimum viable product. And it does feel like you guys have, have a transformational like impact on helping companies get to the MVP. Yeah, that that's the goal. That's the goal. I mean, although the, the thing I'll say though, it just it still feels like we're so early. <laughs> yep. I think we're gonna look back in like twenty years and be like, oh, how quaint. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah. I mean, my 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 earnings model for you guys is like a smiley face emoji. Uh, basically, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> it's like you know, I, I like it's a it's a pool of complex payoffs, and I you know, I, um, <laughs> like, that's a good that's that's a good final like lead in for for the, the big. <laughs> final question for you which is like w- about impact 
like we wanted to like ask you, obviously like we can all like wrap our head around how impactful this could be. I mean, just some of the examples you've like rattled off, like um, environmental impacts, all these different impacts. So, but for you guys as a company, like what are those, what we would describe as in quotes, non-monetary indicators, like, you know, I think I hear a cat over there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, my my little my my junior equity analyst here is uh, what's, is really what's their name. Uh, Sammy, yeah. she's she's very insistent on her right to be petted and played with on demand. <laughs> oh, she's up on the desk. That's awesome. So, but give us some of your like, what are you? What are the impacts that you want to have, have on the world? Just beyond obviously profit. Like, walk us yeah. through some of them. Yeah. So, so we're kind of nerds. And so our, our mission and the thing that really like gets us up is like the biology itself, like the, the recognition that biology is this like powerful, freakish alien technology that we still know almost nothing about, but is the only thing that we're aware of that operates both with like nanoscale precision and global scale, right? Like just look at plants. Um, and so for us, I think, again, and part of the reason for the business model is we have a bit of humility around recognizing that we probably can't foresee the most impactful things that biology can do um, if directed in the right way, if engineered in the right way. And, you know, again, I think some of this humility comes from Tom, one of our co-founders who grew up in the computing industry. And, and he, he lived through that, that era where you, at one point you had to be an electrical engineer and really the only things computers could do at that time was like glorified counting to a world where, you know, like my four-year-old can program computers because they're so easy and so accessible and we can be doing video conferencing. And, you know, it's just like it's transformed a bunch of industries. Like biology is way more powerful than computing, but we're limited still today. We're like in those early days where we're limited by our imagination. We're limited by our understanding of the biology. And so... For us, I mean, obviously, the, like, the most exciting things for us are going to be the things that very few other people care about because it's going to be like the nerdy, the nerdy biology stuff. Like, oh, we, we reused this, this biological part for something totally different. Mm. That made it easier, you know, and, like, and it's just like solving those problems. Or like, you know, one of the things we just, we just talked about um, at our conference where it was the concept of like CDKs, cell development kits. Um, so the idea that there are certain problems that we've like well defined, we've defined well enough that they're easy. Like nothing is easy in biology, but like there are certain things where we've gotten like a little bit better and we can really, really reduce the cost and the risk of developing applications in those spaces. And so we're starting to see those like little reusable packages of biological tools. And the more of those that we accumulate, the easier it becomes for creative entrepreneurial people to dream up the next thing, the next application. And it's, it's like unleashing that creativity is I think what, what gets me most excited. Cause again, I think, I think we as an industry are limited. We're limited by the creativity, which is limited by the technic technology. Um, and so for me, it's like just seeing new programs start seeing programs work because every time a program works, it means that you've, you've figured out some hard technical challenge and you can reuse those learnings to solve another even harder technical challenge. And so those are the things that we care, we care the most about and get, get the most excited about. So not creating Jurassic Park on Earth. Uh, no Jurassic Park. Not allowed there. to talk about that one. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, we do have a healthy love, uh, love and respect for, for biology and dinosaurs. Um, and, and, and I would say like there, 
you know, it's, it's a mission driven organization, both in terms of like the actual, you know, the biology, the technology, but I think everyone who here, who's here also recognizes the, the power to, to solve really big, hard, important problems. Um, you know, climate change is obviously, uh, obviously the problem for this generation. Um, and uh, biology has been really good at making and controlling the climate for a long, for hundreds of millions of years, um, if not billions of years. And so it, it has to be the solution, right? It has to be the solution for what we're, yeah. what we're going through right now. Um, and we just don't, you know, we don't know quite what it's going to be, but it, it's, it's going to be the solution. I think that, that we're pretty confident in. That's awesome. Well, I, I look forward to following you along and just sort of chiming in with a great quarter guys every, every, every now and again. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, let's be the solution. That sounds like a good place to leave it. Thank have you a, so much. Have a happy spooky Halloween. Thanks. Yeah. You too. Are you, what are you dressing up as? Um, I'm probably just candidly going to, going to wear something slutty and go dancing in the club. Uh, um, but you know, the, I, I don't have like the, the kids Halloween thing going on. I've got the, I do, you know, I, I was, I'm a mystery cat, which is, um, Scooby-Doo, uh, knockoff. Um, oh no, mystery dog, mystery dog. Sorry. Yeah. That that was the head from earlier. Yeah. Yep. Yep. How about you? Uh, well, my kid, I've got two kids. Um, they're six and four. So my six-year-old is like too cool already for, for Halloween. What? Um, but we're reading mm. Harry Potter. So he's going to be Harry Potter in muggle clothing, which means. Oh. <laughs> and then my, my four-year-old is lightning boy. He's got a little cape. Um, nice. So that's yeah. it's a good generic superhero. <laughs> it makes it very easy for me because I don't have to go buy. Yeah. It's mom. like, you and just I, need I to get the. Mom. That is my costume of the year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. Good for you. Well, enjoy. Have a great one. Great to see you guys. Wow, that was awesome. I mean, like, I I think it's so cool that companies like this exist. Me too. Um, You know, and and also like, uh, just you know, for what it's worth, the co-founder Tom that she mentioned. There's like, I don't know how well founded the rumor is, but the guy looks an awful lot like the character from Jurassic Park who started Jurassic Park. Yeah, like it's like. Which you one? Know, the, I, old, the old guy or the... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like the old guy, like he has like the, the... If you watch the movie, like the character and then Tom, it just, it like, it, it's a little bit too alike each other, you know? So I don't really know what to take from I that. I think that's except, a meaningful evidence that we should yeah. extrapolate from and uh, spread rumors that... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, hey, look, Six Flags is a multi-billion-dollar company, uh, and they, you know, they have it's a, a bunch of phenomenal assets, a bunch of phenomenal margins. You know, if they if they could really pull this Jurassic Park thing off, think about the implications yeah. for for earnings. I oh mean, my God! You know, it's like on the one hand, like a horizontal platform where you can have a piece of all these startups. On the other hand, you sell hot dogs. You know, yeah, and merch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, hot dogs made at, made out of you know the the, the food. whatever it was. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the, the umami or <laughs> the fake uh, the fake meat. Um, I, anyway, I almost asked her for an investment in free money, but I I, avoid, <laughs> I, I was like. I, I, you know, in the email chain, I was, I was like, we're definitely going to make a joke about our own kind of drinks startup, yes. uh, you know, portable alpha and like how we can work with them to make it taste more orange. Yes. Um, we are the, you know, we want to be the most orange tasting beverage 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Globally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, people are used to what they think or, but like she said, she's, we're limited by the imagination. Yeah. We're limited by, um, so yeah, I, I regrettably forgot to uh, make that joke, but I was, you know what we forgot because building stuff is hard. Building stuff is hard. And guess what? It's a transition that actually worked. I think. What is that? Uh, what about, I, I picture like wind. What is that actually? <laughs> it's like it's, it's like from like you know like a news show or something where they're like, all right, next story. Okay, like, perfect. Good to know. All right. It's it was, it was it's one of the generic side effects, but it's it's labeled as transition too. So I was oh, like, that is nice then. Well, <laughs> we we uh, we're building stuff, the two of us, and it's hard. What we was are. hard this we week are. for you? Um, let's see. Uh, you know, I'm going to go, uh, with, you know, just kind of doubling down on conviction. Um, cause you know, we're, we're taping at the, the end of October. It was a good month for the strategy, but I, I realized in the middle of it that I owned too many stocks. Ah. Um, you know, like I have, I had 48 positions at the beginning of the month. Hmm. Um, and that's because, you know, I, some of them overlap. Some of them are like, you know, multiple positions in the same industry. Um, but like, I, I think that it was diluting yeah. the effect of the research a little bit too much. So, um, I basically just went and decided to kill some of my darlings. Um, and that's hard you know, to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. Well, they uh, what say the magic number is 30. Yeah. You yeah, know, exactly. 30 like, companies uh, in a portfolio, you get true opportunity for alpha. Exactly. Exactly. 15 to 30, you know, and, and, and like, I, I mean, I, we're going to let it evolve, you know, we're cool. just going to see, you know, how it unfolds, but yeah, we're, uh, I think we're, we're calling probably between 15 and 20 in this, in the next repo. My hard thing, not to take away from your hard thing is a little bit different. Mm. It, it is related to valid. the disappointment that other people have in a me, you know, mm. uh, it, I think what I've come to realize, I had something else than I had something happen today where I was like, dang, what <laughs> more person disappointed. And I think, yeah, I, you went to the Halloween parade in a, in an off brand <laughs> costume. <laughs> it was related to the Halloween parade. Cause I had this like really critical phone call, which had six people on there wanting to talk to me about something. And I was like, Oh shit, I got my kids Halloween parade. And so Anyway, the point was I disappointed them and I had this like, mm. cause I wasn't like at my desk ready for their demo and mm. they were bummed. I could tell they were bummed. And I had this realization. It's like, look, when you're out building stuff that I, there's so many people that are disappointed in me right now, like in this yeah. moment, mm. um, some people at Stanford that are like, why haven't you gotten <laughs> me that paperbacks? You know, some people across all the little entities that I'm building. And I think part of building stuff is like triaging that and like figuring <laughs> out what are the fires that you have to put out? The disappointment yep. fires. Um, what are the ones that are like burning in a dumpster that you can leave there? And yeah. and that's like a hard muscle to build. Like yeah. to be okay with people that are kind of disappointed or frustrated with you. I think people in media, like we're inevitably going to have a lot of haters just because this is such a big successful thing one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's new when you get into the world of entrepreneurship. I don't think you realize that like, you're going to have ambitious goals. You're going to be moving fast and then people are going to get their toes stepped on. So anyway, mm, that was my yeah. deep thought. I, that's profound. I mean, like I, you know, I, I think that there is a, uh, you know, there's a kooky Silicon Valley management book, uh, <laughs> you know, in your future. I think the there might be. The, 
I think there might the, be. Yeah. yeah. The power of be of, of accepting. I mean, but like, but isn't really, it called the subtle art of not giving a fuck? I think somebody <laughs> wrote it. <laughs> I just realized that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but you know, there's a lot of power in that. You're just being like, cause I, I think like people tell you what you're building all the time, you know, and like, it's not, it, I mean, you don't always have the words for what you're building, Yeah, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, uh, very profound moment of transition to this is why this is why people write in with the questions for you oh because uh, we've got some deep thoughts up in this brain because we've got some deep thoughts up in this beat yeah um yeah let me uh it's la hora de uh um this is the period in the show where we answer questions from listeners and if you have one uh you know what don't despair just write freemoneypod at gmail.com um, or you know, Twitter's free money sixty nine oh, yeah, four twenty right. or something. Or like, Twitter at, at so, or Twitter at free money four twenty sixty nine. By it. the way, did you see that someone actually raised a four twenty sixty nine round? No. Yeah, uh, FTX actually raised a four hundred twenty million sixty nine thousand uh, dollar round. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is astounding. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah um and so you know i just you know, not to take too many victory laps but we were there first yeah uh um, so are we gonna know? get our two percent or we'll fall we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, be like, in kinda, touch yeah we'll be we should have made it an nft that way we could have like gotten some you know some, gotten some. some juice going on. Juice. anyway um what's the first question ask, um i gotta i gotta i gotta pitch the reviews first uh, oh yeah <laughs> geez um but yeah if you don't want to even if you don't uh even if you don't ask us a question um, just uh, write a review. It can't hurt. Uh, probably on the Apple Store. I don't know. Maybe on um, Yelp. I don't Yelp. know. Like we're not even on Yelp, but get on there and be like free money. Get on pod. there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Write a review what in a- your local public bathroom. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> print out a printout and put yeah. it to the local pin board at your town hall. Yeah. Exactly. I'll pin it on the. Then co-op, take a uh, picture of it. And yep. when we see that you have done that, we will send you some free swag. I think yep. we will. Excellent. I think we would. Yeah, exactly. I think we would be willing to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think we would. I think I would be willing to get off my ass and get the free money swag store back up. I, I know people are disappointed in me for that. There but are tens of people that have mentioned that they want that back. You know, I, yeah, and it's you know tough supply chain uh, period right now. Uh, <laughs> it is related to the chipsets, the uh, semiconductors. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's semiconductor yeah, sem- related. Semiconductor shortage. Um, this is a really good question, though. Uh, Here we go. It's very like this is like I feel like this is like a serious question. Someone like, okay, let me at what let me get my serious face. Yeah. Um, the if you think about the overall profit pool in asset management. Um, what percentage do you expect is captured by data companies currently? Um, and oh. is there like a natural level for it? This is like somebody's like, oh yeah, I've I've read Ashby's research. Yeah, you know, let me engage. Let me engage with these folks on topics that I believe they will understand. Appreciate it, listener. Um, so first off, I think data is a proxy for like ec- external research. Right. So mm. a lot of organizations will do internal research. They'll hire human beings to go and make phone calls. And, you know, they're like at a certain point, you could think of like human researchers as building alternative data sets. 
Yep. Um, and it, maybe it comes in the form of knowledge instead of data and information, but you're still trying to build um, a unique edge and understanding the markets. And so there is a part of this ecosystem that is like, what is human resources versus the data budget? And are they kind of fungible to a certain extent? Mm. So that's just one, one thing to call out. A lot of organizations will have huge human resources bills. Yep. They will have low data bills. But what are those people doing? They're going out and collecting <laughs> data, qualitative data sometimes, but data. So when yep. we say what should the data budget be, what we're really saying is the world is becoming more technologized. And as we move into a world where your you know, decision-making processes are powered by software. Well, that software eats data to generate yep. analytics. And that's where we get into a world where maybe there's organizations that are getting away with one to 10% of the profit pool today on data. I expect that could move up to 33 to 50% of profit pools, yep. um, especially as like really niche data becomes um, powerful drivers of performance. Yep. Like scarce data, um, from satellite providers or even like some of these like, um, payment processors, like these people have an edge in the markets because they see some of this data that no one else sees. Yep. And so they're going to be able to extract pretty big rents from the asset managers, um, that are, that are getting it. It's also important to note on this question, which as you can tell, I'm taking incredibly seriously, Sloan. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no costumes. Costumes no off. Hats. Costumes off. Uh, the past does not look like the future on this one. Mm -hmm. And and that's because the rise of ESG, as we said on the top of the show, all these new roles and new focuses, like how are they going to do that? That's data. Like yep. the CPPIB chief of sustainability, you could say like chief of data related to sustainability. Yes, they're going to vote proxies and things like that, but really they're going to collect information and they're going to try to make use of it in the context of decision-making. So I, like, I know I didn't like give you a, a perfect answer, but hopefully that's a lot of like frameworks for thinking about the future. I, I love data companies. I think data companies in, in the investment space are just going to be massive. Yeah. Um, especially as the technology allows investors to do more rebalancing, more um, portfolio construction. And so you're basically saying, okay, well, if I have good data and I have good software and technology, maybe I can do it on my own. Maybe like I can start automating these processes. Um, and that's what scares the shit out of the asset management community. Um, but ultimately like maybe it means that asset managers will be the like consumers of this stuff and they'll still be there in between the LPs and the companies or whatever it is. I Rambling. I, well, I think that the data companies too are much more investable than the asset managers. Like when I see like a, uh, you know, pick a, you know, affiliated managers group or something like that stock. I mean, you know, to, to get, to, to model that out and actually understand it and, you know, figure out how the value accrues and to whom and why and what the catalysts are, you know, it's like, it's a very boring version of trying to value Ginkgo. Cause like you have like 19 billion different strategies that are operating yeah. underneath that shell and whatever. But like, you know, to try and value, you know, the Thomson Reuters that flows into it, um, that's a SaaS business. Yeah. You know, um, that's right. so yeah, like, Fact so set. it's a, exactly. Um, it's a, Bloomberg, you know, you've heard of these things. They're big and yeah. they're sticky and they generate recurring revenue. And once an asset manager decides they need that data, 
for their strategy and they start building a track record with your data, guess what? They're not going to swap your data <laughs> out. That, it's like the Ginkgo stuff. Like yeah. a company starts using Ginkgo technology to build a product. It's not easy to get off that technology. It's the same with this data stuff. You, know, yep. you start delivering yep. like a, a performant track record with, I don't know, sustainalytics data or net purpose data back to Sam Duncan on our show. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, then, then you're off to the races. You got, you got a sticky client for life. Mm. All right. That's the great answer to that question. Um, this next equally serious, equally based in mm. your expertise mm -hmm, question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, let's say hypothetically, we're, we're going to terraform a planet in this solar system. Which one do you think is most likely and why? The only part of this question I dislike is the hypothetical nature. I think this <laughs> is legit. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. are going to so do when, this. I mean, Elon well, Musk is going to be a trillionaire. He's going somewhere. He's not sticking around. <laughs> You better not. Uh, <laughs> we can't handle that guy. You yeah, got to exactly. get him out of get, here. Get him out of here. Um, so the obvious thing, which I'm not going to say, is Mars. But mm. let's go with um, Titan, the moon. Mm. The moon Titan uh, is really special because it has enormous reserves of petroleum, which we mm. could make use of when we get there to power the terraforming machines, mm. um, which I'm picturing as like just freaking massive things that look like they're out of Dune. Yep. You know? Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, you get petroleum there. And um, some of the, the studies that I've read have thought that Titan's current atmosphere and climate actually resemble early Earth. Hmm. And so, yeah, I think I think probably Titan. I know it's a moon. It's not a planet. Um, but it also sits out there in what they call Saturn's magnetosphere, which hmm. protects people on Titan from the solar wind. Hmm. Oh, gotcha. Okay. That's so a that, big so thing. Your, so your electronics you will big, work. Yep. Yep. Well, that, well, I mean, like a life without Twitter, that's, you know, basically me. Yeah. I, I heard an argument for terraforming Venus. I've heard that, uh, too. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the, the thing about it is um, it's like worse than Mars for it's like Mars, but all the problems that they have on Mars are worse on Venus. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. I mean, Venus is like an openly hostile to life on Earth. I mean, the, the way that they would do it, which I, I found fascinating, was they would put a giant mirror in front of in front of Venus, effectively freeze it. Interesting. Uh, to, so that's and, the problem, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, because it's way too hot yeah. um, and it's got way too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But if you could get it to like negative 80 degrees Celsius, you then like, you know, all the carbon precipitates out of the atmosphere. You yeah. then have robots like mine it and then shoot it off onto an asteroid. I like that. Um, and then you, you gradually like reheat it with a series of complex mirrors. This whole thing is just very, very science fiction-y. But you know, like... There's a chance that my children will go to Mars. Like I, oh yeah, like I hope yeah, they yeah, yeah. they stick around. But like, like this is where it stops being science fiction. I mean, we got freaking helicopters flying on Mars right now. Yeah, like yeah, that exactly. Is, like, that's it, not baloney. It's just so wild to me. And um, I mean, I think the cool bit will be like when we get a base on the moon, and then mm. and I remember when I got to Stanford, there was like a whole team that was like, hey, let's figure out the resources available on the moon in the, this was in our engineering school. There was a team that came together to think through 
what could we grab in terms of like the materials on the moon to build more <laughs> things? You know, that's so cool, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, have you ever seen that movie Ad Astra? Um, I haven't, but it's on my list. Oh shit! I just uh, made your day. It's a bit weird yeah. at the end. I won't ruin it, mm. but it's a bit freaking weird. But the part on the moon <laughs> is like, you're like, that is not that far away. We are almost yep. going to have that. Yep. I mean, it's it's all about money, you know. Um, the you cannot I mean, tax those billionaires, Sloan. We need them. <laughs> What if we simply taxed them and then paid for a space program? <laughs> Actually, yeah. now you're talking. Maybe they get you behind know, that. What if we tax yeah. you, but they give you the money back to your space company? Yeah, Democrat, Democratic <laughs> Treasuries of America are like sit, sitting there, like, oh yeah, good, great, great idea. Good, Tobias, good you got it. That's that's you yeah, can yeah, have that one. He's running for governor of Oregon, by the Tobias way. Tobias Reed, future governor of yeah. Oregon. You yeah, heard exactly. it here. Not first, but maybe Probably 800th. Like last. 800th. Yeah. Um, yeah, we exactly. just love Tobias Reed, and we think he should be governor. Yep. We are um, yes. yes to Tobias. And his dog <laughs> sent me an email the other day. You know his how like, sometimes the politicians get their animals to send emails? <laughs> <laughs> and then I got a text message from like somebody on his team. I don't think it was personal because she never wrote back. Mm. Um, but And I said, look. I will give your guy a thousand dollars if you can deliver another email from his dog in the next twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Tobias is just sitting there with a, like a gun pointed to his dog's head, like "Doggy, you better email Ashby." Yeah, uh, exactly. Anyway, uh, I never got the right. email, so sorry, Tobias. No money for yep. you, pal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, last question before we get to the the, the all important garden. Oh, I got tip. a good garden tip today. But let's get to this um, last one. Read any good books lately? Oh, that's an easy one. I have read good. I have two ones on this one. Oh, really? Yeah. So I have a fun, like, oh, we got a long weekend for Thanksgiving coming up. Mm. Um, I read Andy Weir's Hail Mary. Huh. With, he did The Martian. Yep. Yep. And then he did a second book that was kind of bad. Um, I forget what it was called. But this one is super fun. This is um, Hail Mary is like the sun is like getting dimmer and we need to like figure out why it's getting dimmer. And it's like, it's, there's like a whole bio um, mm. like component here that reminds me of the ginkgo because yep. the solution to the sun is actually to inject a biological thing into this ecosystem. Anyway, the point is it's really fun and it's a short read. And then the other one that I would say um, I enjoyed was this thing called the science of enlightenment by Shinzen mm. Young. Oh, wow. And I think he must have broken a bunch of rules of like Zen Buddhism because he just like talks about how, what it is to be enlightened and the science behind it. Um, mm. And so I found it really fascinating to get into like the scientific rationale for like what it is. Because, you know, you've seen all those like um, MRIs of the of the Buddhist monks' yep. brains look different. Yep. Yep. He goes into that with a, like a full scientific lens of like how you get there, why it happens, and like oh, how you so can good. like cut the line so you don't have to spend twenty years in silence in a cave. Mm. Which I like. That's I mean I like that to sounds not do pretty that. great. Yeah. Yeah, I like I mean enlightenment as a service up next. Holy shit. That's <laughs> free money's next vertical. Yeah, exactly. Enlightenment as a service. Yeah, Elas, e baby. Yeah. Yeah, Elas. 
<laughs> we need to call our patent attorney. Yeah, exactly. That's a uh, process patent. That's yeah, what we call well, that. I mean, we, you know, you know, what we need to do is get like a vertical enlightenment company to partner with <laughs> to de-risk our. We're the horizontal uh, enlightenment platform. <laughs> People plug into our platform for other enlightenment products. We yeah, just exactly. take a cut, you know. We just take a cut. Yeah, we'll just enlighten your, you know, whatever it is, your asset management services. Um, what did I read recently? I read, uh, you know, when Brooklyn was queer, oh. uh, which is. So, like, for a lot of people, the modern history of queer rights begins with Stonewall. Yeah. Uh, you what know, a great bar I've been there. Yeah, it's a great bar. Great. My dad lives around the corner from there. Oh, um, really? Yeah, he grew up there. Huh. Um, you know, it's no, how did he grow up to be a Republican pundit? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a cool neighborhood. It's a cool neighborhood. But, yeah, like, the uh, so the Stonewall was, like, way, way, way not the beginning of it. I mean, Walt Whitman, openly gay, wrote about how much he loved having sex with men all the time. Um, you know, and from his day, like 1848 onward, um, Brooklyn was a hotbed of queer history, queer rights. Interesting. Uh, you know, so especially around the Brooklyn Navy Yard, which was a place where all sorts of folks from all sorts of different races and classes and whatever were able to mix um, for mostly for gay men until the lead up to World War II, then for gay women during World War II. Um, so it's just kind of like a tracing through huh. of all of that great queer history. I, you know, I learned there, there are photographs of like trans sex workers from the 19 like tens that have wow. survived, um, you know, which I found just fat. Like there's so much of this like erased stuff that, you know, you just don't get. So that, yeah, that, it's that, like that, that's my book. History is often written by, you know, the mainstream. Right. And so exactly. these were the, the oppressed. So it's great. I'll it, check that out. My one, one great vignette from there was uh, somebody in Brooklyn Heights wrote in to be like, you know, there are too many homos around here, uh, to, to the local neighborhood. Um, and then like right after that, like 40 people wrote in roasting that guy. Uh, like <laughs> just basically like get out of here, like, get you out of get here. Out of here. You don't have to be here. Yeah, exactly. Like if you don't, if you, yeah, this is a gay neighborhood. If you don't like it, get out of here. Um, but then about 10 years after that, you know, I think that was like in the 1910s, uh, then 10 years after that, it was gone. Uh, um, oh, interesting. And, huh. you know, so, so it was this like vanishing moment of, uh, like queer awareness hmm. in the, in the early 1910s. Um, and you know, <laughs> oh wait, my transitions get better and better. <laughs> Did you mean to have I, a laugh track right there? <laughs> you had like a deep I, thought and then it was like I meant to, laugh track. I meant, to, I meant to go. I meant to have, you know, That's the, nice. the applause. The applause yeah, no, that, that was a great recommendation. <laughs> but the laugh track is, you know, uh, whatever. What's happening in your garden, Sloan? Um, right now, not much. We're still putting it back together. Um, you know, but, uh, what can I talk about? Oh yeah. We got our, um, aquarium plants, uh, pretty dialed in. I don't know if I've talked about this much on the podcast, no. but, um, Claire has been spearheading, uh, a diversification of our gardening efforts into, uh, aquarium based plants. Um, so we now have, uh, four aquariums up and running. Do you have critters in them? Uh, yep. Yep. We got, uh, we got shrimp in them, which are like, they're okay. They're the freaking cutest. They look like they're tap dancing all the time. Um, That's amazing. we also have mystery snails, which look like little wizards. Um, like snails are, are shockingly interesting. Oh to yeah. Watch. That's amazing. They, yeah. They've got these big floopy arms and, uh, 
you know, the, and so we're using something called the Wallstad method, which, you know, unlike a traditional, um, I, and I'm going to butcher this, but like, unlike a traditional tank where you need CO2 injections and lots of hardware and all kinds of crazy stuff, in the Wallstad method, you just use compost from your garden, mm. um, as the substrate of the, of the thing. Um, and then root the plants in the compost underneath the water. Amazing. Um, you know, so you have like an actual biological soil self-regulating ecosystem sort of thing going on. Um, you know, so not all of us are lucky enough to live in California. I know you got to um, bring your plants into, into the doors. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but aquariums are, you can put them in a basement and have, uh, a whole bunch of, like, it's a great way to put plants where you don't have light. That's uh, awesome. It, yeah. It's, uh, it's been really rewarding and, um, it produces lots of good looking at living things time. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to, you know, we don't, we used to have like um, a bunch of fish um, and then we mm. moved. Unfortunately, the betas didn't survive the move. Mm. Um, but I love it. I'll check that out. Uh, in terms of my garden tip, wildflowers. This, is, oh, hell this yeah. is when you should go throw a bunch of seeds, at least out here in the, in the, the West Coast. Take your wildflower seeds, go out to this damp soil and just throw them everywhere. Um, mm. because if you go and sprinkle them around, this is when they take root and, um, yep. and then, you know, in the spring you'll have tons of wildflowers. So that's my tip. You get your, you get your beautiful wildflower meadow to roll around. Oh and, yeah. Uh, that just sounds very luxurious. Yep. It does. Mm. It does sound luxurious. You are, um, rolling around in the dirt, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> has the sound of luxury. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Squish, squish, squash, squash. How did uh, I? Did I just lay on my dog's poo? Like, back. You yeah, gotta be careful out there. You know, I mean, it's manure. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can. I mean, you can use dog poo for to fertilize non-edible stuff, right? Like, you know, so uh, it's just a. It's a. You're basically playing with fire. Yeah, you're playing with fire out there. <laughs> this is. I got my own ginkgo platform in the backyard. Um, like <laughs> dog poo everywhere. The thing. I've got a lot of different verticals. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of programs at work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I like when we get our spack going, maybe that's maybe, maybe we could just take your backyard public. Uh, we should, I'm still waiting for somebody to offer to pay me my carbon credit, uh, for my, all the planting I, I'm doing. You know, I, I do it like, you know, I mean, this is a total di divert departure, but like, I, I am sure that some, at some point somebody will figure out a way to monetize, like, you know, sustainable backyard practices as carbon credit. Yeah. Like, um, I'm about to plant know. an oak tree. Did I tell you that? No. Yeah, that like so I've planted sequoias and redwoods, and I'm gonna plant a, a new little oak tree. A friend of mine Aww. gave me an oak sapling, and uh, yeah, those the, the, the 400 years of carbon sequestration or more. You know. Yep. It's massive. Yep. Good numbers. Good and numbers. I will plant oh. it in the ground when somebody pays me twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and not a second before. You hear me, listeners? <laughs> or I'll plant it in the ground if you go to your local city hall and you print out, listen to the Free Money podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just you know, if Pin someone it up reads there. it into, if someone reads it into the permanent record of Congress, uh, I, or their local school know, board, I'm cool with that. Yeah. local school board, yeah, yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Get it into a government document, <laughs> and we'll we'll release a perk. Uh, we'll but, get a perk <laughs> out there for you. Promise. We'll, we'll do your voicemail. Yeah. Oh shit. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Ashby uh, Bugs voicemail. This is where <laughs> you get the Bay Area consensus. <laughs> exactly. You can leave a voicemail. Ah! Uh, we love you. All Bye. Right. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Let me get rain on them. 